So nice to be with you again today. Again, about a week. Our exam's in about a week, so hopefully we're thinking and planning accordingly. Um, but this is also part of it, so hopefully you guys had a chance to kind of preview a little bit. Um, if you haven't had a chance, again, I don't know if we'll have time, but this is one of the links in your um, handout if you want to kind of get a microscopic view of when we talk about our somatic cell nuclear transfer. Um, it's kind of a neat, neat um, video. I'm sure there are other ones that are similar out there. So today is continue with our HCB and your objectives as usual. So we're looking at this one today. Hopefully we're checking off a lot of these other big terms and keywords on our um, USMLE principles, but today we're really going to be focusing on stem cell and stem cells, and, and it's important for, for this course, because as we go, even with epithelium, um, but as you get into skin, coming up after your exam, and some of these other things, we're going to be talking about stem cells and all these different tissues, and um, so we want to be, be familiar with that. But then just going forward, um, it's, again, pretty, pretty exciting and interesting research, and as we'll see, there are lots of different clinical trials currently underway. This is going to be um, an area of um, treatment. Different types of cell therapies are going to be, you guys are probably going to be the generation that gets to actually implement a lot of this stuff. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, so these guys, just to kind of highlight, again, some of the pioneers in the field, uh, Dr. Gurdon, Yamanaka, again, one of the one million dollars for their work looking at uh, stem cells and basically to create or create induced pluripotent stem cells. So they take an adult cell and push it back to turn it into a pluripotent stem cell. So we're going to look at that a little bit today. But it's also a reminder that I've got a couple of clickers for you. So get your clickers out. Get you get the juices flowing. You guys are caffeinated now, ready to. Get the afternoon off to a good start. I've got one more for you. We're going to come back to these, so I'm not going to answer it right now. But we got, hopefully we'll change some of those percentages as we go forward.
right. That's a good question, right? That is a good one. That's what we like. So good. Let's try to remember what you uh, what you put and see see how things change at the at the end. Okay. So stem cells. What are what are they? What are some of the basic things? How do we describe these these cells? These are undifferentiated cells, also called unspecialized cells, um, that are going to replace themselves and give rise to other daughter cells that will be on a different lineage. Okay, So very, just generally, um, these are the cells that are going to give rise to the other cells in our tissues. They're going to replenish the cells in our, our various tissues. And there are two big types, our embryonic, so during development, during our first few weeks um, is when we will see these embryonic stem cells in, in action, and we'll look at those just really briefly. And then as we develop a little bit further along, we don't have embryonic stem cells anymore, but after we're developed now, we've got what we call adult stem cells that are residing in our various tissues. So a couple of these characteristics again, stem cells. This idea of self-renewal, almost unlimited, not exactly, they're not totally immortal, but really, again, these stem cells have a, an active telomerase gene. They're going to be long-lived, again, self-renewal, nearly unlimited self-renewal. And they're dividing by mitosis, right? So this is cell division. Another feature is this idea of their, they start off as undifferentiated or unspecialized but daughter cells are going to be able to kind of go through a step-by-step -step process, which is differentiation, and become the mature cells of these different tissues. And we'll look at that in a general form when we talk about differentiation. So another important terms to think about when we think of these stem cells is the potency. So totipotent cells are characterized. They can give rise to all the cells of a developing embryo. Embryonic cells and extra embryonic cells and tissues. It's kind of unique. We'll look at that in a little bit more detail. So extra, example of extra embryonic is the tissue outside the embryo, the tissue that forms the placenta, placental membranes. And you guys will, I know you, most of you guys haven't covered that yet, but that's something that's coming up in your near future as, very near future, as you look at some of these first few weeks of development some of these things will, again, start to click. You'll get to see, see these things again. Pluripotent, these are referring to our embryonic stem cells. These are, again, the ones that we find, we'll come back at this, and the inner cell mass. These are pluripotent. They're going to give rise, they can give rise to all the tissues of the embryo. Not extra embryonic tissue, but the embryonic tissue. So all the 200 plus different types of cells in the body, the four major tissue types, they're going to give rise to the tissues of our body. So that's why they're especially kind of important for research areas. Now as these things kind of go through their steps, they will become more restricted. So as we get to our adult stem cells in our different tissues, they're for the most part described as multipotent. They are somewhat restricted, but can still give rise to uh, usually a few different types of cells. There are some areas where maybe only stem cells only give rise to one particular type of stem cell. Like, for example, when you do your skin, you'll see that there are stem cells in your skin that give rise to things called keratinocytes, or the 
cells of your skin. That's about it. That's a pretty much about it. So we'll look at these again. This is a, a picture you will review probably in a few weeks. What are we seeing? This is our fertilization. So this is happening within the uterine tube. The oocyte's been released from the um, um, ovary. It's been brought into the fallopian tube or uterine tube. And these spermatozoa have made their way up the vaginal canal and cerv through the cervical canal and through the cervix and made a right or a left and ended up in the, the right spot. So out of maybe 300 sperm, maybe 100 or so actually make it to the oocyte. And if things go according to plan, we'll get fertilization. One spermatozoa will bind and penetrate. Again, let's not worry about this. You're going to be covering this in more detail. But this is why is this important? We're getting our male DNA combining with your female DNA. We're going to get our first cell division. And now we're starting this process of the new zygote. So these early stages, as we go from our first cleavage to our second cleavage, we get to this eight cell stage, 16, 32 cell stage. All these little cells or blastomeres are within this um, um, structure they call the morgula. Cells at this point are totipotent. You could pluck a cell out of there and it could give rise to embryonic tissue and extraembryonic tissue. But just a short period of time later, these cells are going to undergo compaction. We're going to form a little uh, cavity called a blastocystic cavity. And now we're starting to get some differentiation. We're getting some cells on the outside and some cells on the inside. This is what's called the blastocyst. And this will actually break out of this zona pellucida and form this late-stage blastocyst. This is what attaches to the uterine wall. This is what gets implanted. And if things go according to plan, nine months or so later, one of us merges, right? So, but for our purposes today, we're interested in this clump of cells, this hundred and some cells. It's not, again, not even any other differentiation or anything going on here at this point. We just call it the inner cell mass or the embryo blast. This clump of cells is what gives rise to the tissues of our body. So those are our embryonic stem cells. Those are pluripotent. Those are, can give rise to our three germ layers, endoderm, ectoderm, and mesoderm, which will then give rise to all the tissues of our body. So that's, you will come back to that at a later time. Here's another look at it. Again, we're talking about this clump of cells. This is the inner cell mass. These are the pluripotent potent embryonic stem cells. And as we go from this stage and about week one, we go to a bilaminar disc in week two, we go to a trilaminar disc in week three when we get gastrulation. And the three layers of that are the endoderm, mesoderm, ectoderm. Just very briefly, endoderm basically gives rise to the lining. Endo is in, right? So it'll give epithelium of your respiratory tract, epithelium and glands of your GI tract, urinary tract, that sort of thing. Ectoderm, on top of our surface, it's going to give rise to the epithelium that forms our skin. Right? It also gives rise to neuroectoderm, which is where we form our, our central nervous system, our brain and spinal cord. Neural crest cells contribute to your peripheral nervous system and ganglia and other, lots of other cells. Mesoderm is the middle. It gives rise to things like connective tissue and 
bone and cartilage and muscle and that kind of thing. And mesothelium, remember that, right? That's lining these cavities as mesothelium. That's coming from mesoderm. So hopefully those terms will kind of stick with you a little bit. So when you get to your other lectures, um, it will help a little. But for today, we kind of know where these things are coming from. So adult stem cells. So those are embryonic. After week three, we're getting these three germ layers. We're really getting a lot of uh, organogenesis going and a lot of stuff going on. But after about, after we go from the embryonic phase to fetal phase and beyond, now we're getting into the time of our adult stem cells. So these are going to be the stem cells throughout all of our body, which will be our, the somatic stem cells, or in your testes or ovaries, we'll have your spermatogonia, your oogonia. Those are your germ line stem cells. So, again, these are all adult types. Most of these were, again, things could be discovered that changes how we think about these, but for the most part, these adult stem cells we're thinking of as multipotent. There are some features that we'll talk about that maybe you could debate it, but for the most part, we're thinking these are multipotent. That means they're kind of restricted. They've gone down that step or two, and now they're only going to give rise to maybe three or four or a few different types of cells. So as we go out throughout the body and as this course progresses, you're going to be looking at these areas, these systems and these tissues, and you're going to be talking about these, again, when we talk about blood cell development. That's your hepatopoietic stem cells. Um, mesenchymal stem cells, neural stem cells, epithelial stem cells will keep, keep coming up. So these are adult stem cells. They're multipotent. And they basically live in little pockets or niches in our body. Now, there's some evidence that even though these are multipotent, restricted, if we can take them out of their niche, either in the lab or maybe put them in a new environment, sometimes those can also get uh, turned into other different types of cell lineages. That's what they're talking about when they, you hear plasticity or sometimes transdifferentiation. Again, usually in the body, that's not really an option. But if we take them out or put them in a new environment or do it in the lab with different medium or different growth factors, then we can sometimes nudge them. And we'll look at some, um, some other ways to kind of do that too. So these are, again, you're not going to memorize all these yet. But as you get into these different tissues, these are all some of the cells you're going to be getting really familiar with, being able to identify them, what's their structure, what's their function. So hematopoietic, those are the stem cells that give rise to our red blood cells, our lymphocytes, and our different granulocytes. And we'll look at that just a little bit later today because it's one of the first ones you guys get to uh, study in a little more depth. Mesenchymal, these are connective tissue-like stem cells. So they'll give rise, again, to bone, cartilage, fat, other types of connective tissue cells. That's a lecture that's coming up after your exam, I believe, so you'll get immersed in that really soon. There are stem cells in, in the central nervous system, so there are, again, giving rise to neurons. 
epithelial stem cells, both lining different parts of our respiratory system and GI system, and um, you'll be um, talking about those. And the skin, a lecture right after your exam, you'll be looking at, at these in more detail. So again, all these are examples of adult, multipotent stem cells. And here's when we talk about the bone marrow. Again, this comes up a couple times in this hour. What are we talking about? Mostly we're talking about the cavities of our long bones. So things like your femur, tibia, humerus, your long bones. These are characterized by kind of a long shaft. And within there, there's this cancellous area, and there's, that's where we find some of these niches for these stem cells. So in this area, within the bone, the cavity, we'll find hematopoietic stem cells, which are going to give rise to all these different types of blood cells, mature blood cells. And we'll come back to this, but what happens? Remember, these are, have ability for self-renewal. They can replace themselves and give rise to progenitor cells that are going to go through a step-by-step -step differentiation. This comes up when we talk about leukemias. So hematopoietic stem cell gives rise to your multipotential stem cells. Your lymphoid progenitor cell, if you have acute lymphoblastic or lymphoid leukemia, it's due to a disruption or dysregulation of this process. We're going to create abnormal types of lymphocytes. If you get a myeloid type of leukemia, it's gonna, there's going to be a dysregulation or problem in this process where you produce usually granulocytes or uh, megakaryocytes or red blood cells. So this will be coming up again in the relatively near future. There's also stromal cells in this cavity. So we can make, again, bone cells, bone precursor cells, things called osteoblasts. You can make chondroblasts, you can make fibroblasts, again, to replenish this, this area and the bone itself. So these are relatively, these are what we're most familiar with when we talk about stem cells and stem cell transplants. Bone marrow transplants were some of our first stem cell transplants, right? And we're still doing them today. So when we talk about plasticity, we can pull get a sample. Anybody volunteer to donate bone marrow before? A few hands. So we do one more time? Yeah, there's a few people out there. Good. What did it feel like? What did they do? Did they go into your, your hip? Like, yeah. So usually it's described as kind of a, a not real super pleasant experience. It's like you have to stick a needle in and aspirate um, bone marrow tissue out of your out of your bone right so um, um, so thank you for contributing to uh, science and maybe somebody's treatment right so so in some cases they're going to take that out right um, in case of hematopoietic stem cells they can isolate those and use them to again push them into a different lineage so they've taken those hematopoietic stem cells and turn them into neurons, for example, or skeletal muscle cells, or cardiac cells, or liver cells, again, kind of in a lab um, format, again, for possible different types of cell therapies. Same thing with bone marrow cells. So again, that's that idea of plasticity. They're taken out of that niche. They're either uh, modified in the lab or put in that new environment, and they can become other cells also called trans-differentiation. 
So this idea of stem cell renewal is not entirely understood. You know, we're still figuring most things out, which is kind of good. So well, what's basically going on here? We've got our stem cell. It's undergoing mitosis, producing two daughter cells. And the question is, how do we basically, what are the factors that determine the fate of these two cells? One of these is going to be keeping those stem cell qualities going through this process so it renews these stem cells and produces them. And there are some other factors that are going to say, hey, this daughter cell is going to be going down this new pathway. So that's what they're meaning by asymmetric cell division. All right? Two daughter cells with two different cell fates. And there are a number of different things that come into play. Some extrinsic factors, including the environment where these stem cells are located, which is the niche. And also, likely, some things that are within these cells during division that are within the cells that determine the lineage. And that's the, the intrinsic factors, or intrinsic mechanisms. So extrinsically, what are some of them? Some things, again, you are familiar with at this point, but they're in a niche, right? So they could be bound to other cells, cell-to-cell -cell junctions. They could be bound to matrix with your integrins. They are going to be responding to certain types of growth factors in that environment. And, and then other cells are going to have a different type of extrinsic signaling path. So all these factors are likely play an important role. And again, kind of explains maybe as we age, as these niches kind of change, we get different um, environments and different things happening to our stem cells, it kind of can explain some of our aging effects where we can't replenish tissues very well and um, um, we just can't, we don't have that proliferative ability anymore. So intrinsic. Now these are not as well understood. Again, these could be proteins or even mRNAs that are localized to different poles of these dividing cells. The spindle itself can play a role. How these cells are being divided can play be an important role. But the idea is certain intrinsic proteins or mRNAs or perhaps even some organelle-related signals are isolated in one cell and not in another cell. And that is what can create a, a difference between these two daughter cells and result in a, a different fate of these different cells. So this one can then go on and create a go down this next step, proliferate, and go on a differentiation path. So we're not going to get into all those details, but there are, again, still lots of research going in into these different signaling factors. So what, what are some other things that make stem cells stem cells? What gives them their kind of stemness quality? Another important thing is the expression of transcription factors. All right? And Again, so stem cells are undifferentiated, right? So their DNA has a kind of a unique um, packaging um, compared to like a differentiated cell. Certain genes are going to be active in stem cells that are going to be turned off in differentiated cells. Genes are going to be turned on in differentiated cells that are turned off in stem cells. And some of the important factors that keep stem cells undifferentiated are these transcription factors. 
Sometimes they call it a, like a cocktail of transcription factors. So we can take these in the lab, take an adult cell, somatic cell, transfect them with these transcription factors, and we can push that adult cell back into an embryonic state. So by putting these transcription factors into that cell, they're going to start transcribing embryonic stem cell-like genes, and it's going to, again, um, kind of lead to the transcription of lots of those different types of genes, and it's going to turn other, other genes off, those lineage-specific genes off. So these will come up again when we talk about induced pluripotent stem cells. So we're inducing these cells to go back to an embryonic state using transcription factors, for the most part, and media and growth factors and, and other things. So we'll look at this just briefly. How is this kind of regulated? I know you guys are going to be talking about gene regulation if you haven't already in the, in the near future. But there are a number of different, obviously, theories about it. There's one family of proteins that is thought to play an especially important role in silencing certain genes. And they're called this polycomb family. We'll look at an example of those. So they can be bound to certain genes, silencing certain genes. And, um, and if they're not bound, those genes can be active. And of course, that will affect everything from other effector proteins to our cell cycle. So here's a look at this. And again, just um, kind of a simplified version of that. In our stem cell, our stem cell genes are active. Again, the, that DNA is loosely packaged. Transcription factors are, are able to get there and do their job. But these polychrome complexes are bound to other areas of the DNA, and they're silencing those regions. And again, these, in this example, these are going to be genes that are involved in making that cell become a certain mature cell type or phenotype, just called lineage A or lineage B, lineage C. So what happens? Well, as we go to the next step, we're going to start to turn off some of these stem cell genes and start turning on lineage-specific genes, right? So these polychrome proteins or complexes are thought to play a role in that. So if we shut off our stem cell genes, release our, or activate our lineage A genes, keep these other ones down, that's going to push that cell along a certain lineage. Same thing in the case of B. We're going to turn off the stem cell, turn on B. Case of C, turn off the stem cell genes, turn on our lineage C genes. And we're going to push that cell along that path. And again, this is a step-by-step -step process. And this can become dysregulated, which is why it's in the cancer journal. It can also be associated with other, other conditions. So we'll look at, again, just kind of break that down a little bit. Here's the, the picture we were just looking at. Self-renewal, undifferentiated cells. Some daughter cells are going down that lineage. And in the case of our bone marrow, we're going to get our multipotential cell giving rise to the next progenitor cells, our lymphoids, our myeloids. And each of those is going to have the potential to give cells along a different lineage. Again, by turning off stem cell genes, turning off NK or natural killer cell genes, or turning on T lymphocyte genes, or turning on B lymphocyte genes. Again, this is a step-by-step -step process.
and each tissue and stem cell will be kind of unique. So this is from your, your blood lecture and chapter, I guess, where you'll be looking at this. It's one of the few times you really get to kind of study some of these intermediate cell types as you go down each of these steps. So again, our um, multipotential stem cells are going to give rise to different progenitor cells. Our lymphoid line is going to give rise to lymphocytes. Our myeloid lines are going to give rise to granulocytes and megakaryocytes and red blood cells. So our goal today is not to remember all these little details, but to kind of emphasize this, this is a step, right? So we're going to get certain um, genes being activated and turned off to get it on the NK line, and then that's going to be a next step until we get to our mature differentiated cell point. And you can see this is not always taking place in the same place. Um, again, most of these stem cells are found within our bone marrow, but sometimes final differentiation doesn't occur until they've exited that tissue and gone into connective tissue or other areas. So again, the point is step-by-step -step regulated um, activation and um, triggering of genes. Yeah. So it depends on the tissue type, right? So some are going to be like this, like the most undifferentiated is the one that's at the top of the tree, right? So some, like that hem uh, hematopoietic stem cell, can give rise to a number of different lineages. They're all coming from that original stem cell. Other tissues that might only have maybe two or three lineages, right? Does that make sense? Yeah? So these are, again, totipotent, that is only in the Morula stage. Pluripotent, for the most part, is only in the blastocyst stage. Once we develop, now all these stem cells we're really talking about are multipotent, right? So they can't give rise to everything in the body, plus everything extra embryonic. They can only give rise to certain cells in that tissue. Yep. So, so that's kind of our little intro. So that's kind of why it's a promising thing, right? We want to be able to replace certain cells and tissues in different areas of our body as they wear out or as they get diseased or, or injured or, or for whatever reason. Um, so we want to be able to um, use that for regenerative or cell therapies. So that's a big, big thing. Obviously, we don't know, thank you very much, we don't know everything yet, right? We don't want to know everything. We want to always kind of keep, we'll never probably know everything. So it takes time to study all these things. Most of the knowledge we get is done in other models or other organisms. We don't get to, for appropriate reasons, we don't get to just tinker around with human embryos, right? So um, a lot of this is, again, we're learning from mice and rats and other model organisms. So by using, getting these these tissues, these human tissues, we can actually kind of do some studies on, on actually human tissues, which is important, um, especially as it relates to things like your big farm or pharmaceutical um, interest. Again, it costs billions of dollars to generate meds. They have to go through different trials. They go through animal trials and 
They're a billion dollars in, they get to humans, and it doesn't work, right? So if we can use these different cells, different tissues to, again, ex explore some of these different drug targets and stuff, could ultimately um, kind of have some big rewards that come out of that. So it's not just Regen, it's also some other types of treatments that can arise, hopefully, from this area. So here's, here's a, a look at how we can do that. So on the top, this is a mouse foregut. So this is endoderm. And as they study it, they kind of figured out, hey, these are the steps. Here's how we, the mouse makes a pancreas, right? It's a step-by-step -step process based on expression of transcription factors and genes. So we go from just your generic endoderm into endoderm that has a pancreas specificity into, again, starting to generate some cells in, of that pancreas type, express new transcription factors, and ultimately, again, whether they're exocrine or endocrine, and then specific cells of the endocrine line. So pancreas is where the endocrine part of your pancreas produces beta cells or makes beta cells, and they produce insulin, right? So type 1 diabetes, those cells are gone, right? Those people don't have beta cells. So if we can mimic that in the lab, again, taking our embryonic stem cells, using transcription factors to kind of follow this path in a step-by-step -step process, we can, again, in the lab, produce these beta cells and transplant them back into the body. Now we can produce insulin. Now that person maybe won't have type 1 diabetes. So that's kind of our, our hope along those lines. So this is kind of what we've been, been talking about. We're going to look at, at how we generate some of these different types of cells. But again, keep in mind, this list is much longer than this, right? At the very end, there's a, a slide with some clinical trials, and they list all the different types of stem cells in use and what diseases they're targeting. And again, it's hundreds and, and hundreds of, of potential therapies that, that are in place, not to mention some of the core basic research that needs to continue to develop and maybe even some other uh, pharmaceutical or safety-related options. All right. So looking at how do we get embryonic stem cells? Anybody? From our inner cell mass, right? So the blastocyst. So where are we going to get these from? We have to have a, a, a woman that's uh, willing to take some hormones and crank out a few oocytes, and we have to have a willing partner to um, donate some spermatozoa, and then in the lab we will um, do some in vitro fertilization, right? That's where most of our blastocysts for embryonic stem cell research comes from, IVF, in vitro, in vitro fertilization. So again, either a mother or father, or a mother, father, and a surrogate, or some combination thereof. We need oocytes, and we need spermatozoa. We need to put them together and create our blastocyst. And this is all we're interested in. Again, that, that clump of cells. It's not differentiated yet. Um, and we'll look at kind of the timeline of this. But we can take those, right? We can use those for those areas we were just talking about. Another option, again, what's, what's kind of a drawback of this? Um, it's a non-self cell, right? You're getting it, 
getting it from a donor. And again, the IVF, it's not, if you're go, you want treatments for your body, you can get those stem cells, they're going to be a non-self cell. You can work around it, but it's just one of the pitfalls. So what's an option around that? You can take one of your own cells, take the nucleus out, take the oocyte, take its nuclei out, put your nuclei into that oocyte, and now we can let it divide, right? We can create an inner cell mass that is unique to your DNA. So that would be an example of an autologous transplant. You're taking a cell from your body, growing it, proliferating it, turning it into an embryonic stem cell, then putting it back in your own body. That's autologous. If it's coming from another person or another donor, that's allogeneic type of transplant. All right. So we'll look at these in just a little, little bit more detail um, because there's um, kind of some, always some new developments in these different areas. So for these, what do we do next? We got this inner cell mass from either case. They need to culture those, right? And that has some other, everything, every, there's no one perfect way to do it, right? Every method has got pros and cons, good things and bad things about it. So in this case, we're going to remove that clump. We're going to culture it and create these different colonies of cells. That will be our embryonic pluripotent stem cells. What's the problem, though? When we culture, anybody's done any culture before? You have to use medium. Usually you need serum. You need growth factors. You need other stuff. If you're going to put it in a human body, it's got to be safe, right? So you don't... If you're using fetal calf serum or you're using some other type of medium, ah, it kind of raises some issues, right? Because it could have viruses, it could have other things with it. So there are pitfalls with that. Um, again, their other thing is, again, these cells are not your cells. They are non-self. So that potentially can raise some, um, some issues, some um, immune response issues when they're put into your body. So again positives, lots of good positive things, and a few negative things that are tough to work with. And some people, again, nobody's telling you what to think. Some people have some um, ethical issues using these IVF embryos. Again, these are donated. They are the ones that have not been implanted into uh, the donor mother. They're frozen or discarded, right? So, um, Keep that in mind as well as you consider some of, these, some of these options. So some of the first human embryonic stem cell lines, again, not that long ago, 1998. Um, again, in science, reported the generation of some of our first human embryonic stem cell lines. Shortly thereafter, there were a lot of restrictions put on stem cell research in, in the U.S. that kind of slowed things down for about eight years. So here's our, our video. I think I'm going to let, let you watch that on your own. But this is our, our oocyte, just very briefly. It's surrounded by a glycoprotein layer. And we've got some polar bodies. But in here, this is our oocyte, okay? And within there is the nucleus. So what they're going to do is take this pipette, plunge it in, suck that nucleus out, remove it. Then they're going to put another nucleus in and then let this thing divide. So I'll let you guys, if there's time at the end, we'll, we'll 
see if we can get it going. So here's, here it is in basic diagram form. Here's our donated oocyte. And in the case of uh, maybe some of us, we'll get to do this. Hey, we want to create our own bank. We're going to donate some, some of our own adult cells, maybe a skin cell or a fibroblast. They're just going to take those, that little sample. They're going to pull that nucleus out. They're going to take that oocyte, remove the nucleus, put your nucleus in, and develop this. Right? So now we've got embryonic stem cells matching our DNA. So this is where some people get legitimately concerned, right? We don't want our own kind of sci-fi dystopia to kind of just take off or we've got our own little clones just in the freezer, right? There's legitimate, real ethical concerns with that. That's not what we want to do. That, that, is, that is reproductive cloning at that point, right? If you and doesn't, again, there are issues with it even being successful in humans. Um, it's not really, I don't, again, there's probably some mad scientists out there that thinks it's a really great idea, but probably they're in the extreme minority, right? But this does happen in egg, a big um, agricultural business, right? So they started this process again in the 90s, 96, by doing it with a, you've got to be careful with that, um, Cloning a sheep, right? So they cloned a sheep, Dolly the sheep, in Scotland, right? And we'll look at a picture of her. That's reproductive cloning, where you're taking the skin cell out, putting it in there, letting it divide, implanting it in the uterus, and letting it come to full term. That is reproductive cloning. We just want to get to this stage, right, where we've got cells that we can use for cell-based therapies. And here's our, our famous sheep, right? Dolly the sheep. But they've done this with lots of other types of um, mammals, for example. Um, again, doesn't always work so well with um, other types of primates and that sort of thing. And there are pitfalls that, that follow this process. Um, again, they've, they've had some issues with, with aging, some issues with development. It's not a, a high success related process. So again, most of folks are looking at this generation of ES cells for therapeutic cloning. So we can treat some of those cell loss disorders or some of these other um, things that, that really are progressive and chronic and devastating. So the other option, another really good one, it's got pros and cons, is the induced pluripotent cells. So in this case, Rather than doing the somatic cell nuclear transfer, we're just going to take one of our cells, give it this cocktail of transcription factors, and just try to turn it into an embryonic stem cell without using other people's oocytes. There are problems with that, though. To get these genes into those cells, you know, it's called transfection. We usually have to use viruses. Again, they're getting inserted in the DNA. can cause um, issues with mutation. A lot of these are also proto-oncogenes. We're trying to get things to proliferate, so there's a risk of you're going to cause a cancer. And again, they may not be as stem-like as your real, authentic, embryonic stem cells. So here is our kind of flowchart for that option. Again, just take a little biopsy from your skin, give it that transcription factor cocktail, turn it into 
more of an induced um, pluripotent stem cell, and then kind of push it down the path. If you got any genetic mutations you want to fix along the way, we're getting really good at that. We could fix those, push it down that pathway, put it back into your body. Right? So again, that is also a viable option. Here's an example, kind of a proof of um, the whole process. This cute Reese's monkey, again, um, had kind of a tough life. Research, living in a research uh, environment. But they did this process with him. They took one of his or hers um, skin cells or fibroblast cells and they treated it with a cocktail of those transcription factors, pushed them back to become an induced pluripotent stem cell, and then put them on the path to become dopamine-producing neurons. One other thing they did to this Reese's is they injected it with a neurotoxin to mimic Parkinson's disease. So if they injected it with a neurotoxin that would go and kill some of your cells in your substantia nigra, and it would have Parkinson-like symptoms, right? And the, the test was to see, one, could they create these cells, and when they transplant in them, are they going to actually be functioning as neurons or glial cells? So our goal is not to memorize all these things, but on top, these, they also attach a GFP to these so you could see where they were in the brain, and then they um, also stand for other neuronal markers. And sure enough, these cells did get incorporated into that area of the brain. They were expressing neuronal markers and were likely producing dopamine. These down here were producing different glial cells. So some cells differentiating into neurons, some were differentiating into glial cells. So kind of a proof of concept type of um, experiment. But one example of how maybe some of these treatments might be coming down the line. Okay, so the last couple slides are just emphasizing that there's a lot of different research going on. This is from a few years ago. Again, usually there's a little delay in this, but lots of clinical trials and at different stages are out there. Again, some of these are largely government funded, but there's a lot of private research, pharmaceutical research into a lot of these different areas as well. So promise is um, pretty high, and there's also a lot of hype with it, and that can also bring out some of the more shady side of medical tourism and that kind of stuff where people really promise things they can't really deliver yet, right? They charge people lots of money saying they're going to fix your mom's Parkinson's or MS or something, and there's not a lot to necessarily back it up unless, again, you're doing some of these clinical trials. Again, so um, something to be thinking about. Okay, I think I've got a couple of clickers for you. This is a kind of a recent thing that was pretty exciting where these are oocytes, obviously, that were generated by stem cells. So they took embryonic stem cells and induced pluripotent stem cells, pushed them all the way back and turned them into an oocyte. So now we can start from that oocyte and go 
back, right? So again, kind of a neat, um, neat thing. Um, that's again, kind of pushing things. In, these are in mice, not in humans. So this, these are mice um, oversights. You guys, yeah, you can talk to each other. You don't have to go solo. All right, how do we do on this one? Really nice. Okay, so this is, again, our oldest type of stem cell transplant where due to leukemia or lymphoid or myeloid or acute or chronic, they will try to kill those malignant cells, those, those stem cells. So how do they do that? Chemotherapy, radiotherapy, they're just, you know, that there's not much left. So what do they do? They will take a donation, usually try to get it from a close friend or relative, maybe not friend, more relative, um, or friend, whatever works best, whatever matches up, right? And then um, put it back into the bone marrow and kind of regenerate this whole process, put these stem cells in so we can get all these lineages going, kind of rebuild that thing up from, from the ground up. So what are these stem cells? What are most of these adult stem cells in our body? They are multipotent, right? Pluripotent are going to be inner mass cell type or embryo blast type of cells. Again, you could maybe debate it, if, um, but this is the common um, characterization of these hematopoietic stem cells. They're only giving rise to this lineage. They're not giving rise to neurons or muscle or anything else, just blood cells. So they're not pluripotent. They're not all tissue types. nice good so this is non-self this is a donor this is another person another person's stem cells another person's dna and you're putting it in your body so it's allogeneic or allogeneic or allogenic sometimes called if it's coming from you take your stem your stem cells out irradiate yourself and then put your stem cells back in it's self to self so what would that one be called that's your 
autologous. These other ones are kind of other terms you see in biology. If you're talking about genes, orthologous genes are related genes, but in different species. Um, analogous, again, homologous, these are kind of other terms for uh, genes, not necessarily transplants, right? So, um, so good, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about cell adaptation.
Hi, everyone. Um, I'm from the Internal Medicine Club, and I just wanted to make a quick announcement. So next week, Thursday, on February 9th, we're going to have a SimLab workshop. Um, you get to listen to different heart sounds, and it's really interesting. You work with a professor. Um, so if you want to sign up, if you're interested, um, I posted on your Facebook class page, so there's a link. Um, it's first come, first serve, so try to sign up soon. And it's, again, it's next Thursday, 6 to 7, in the SimLab. Thank you.